Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Okay, so last week, um, Peyton got up here and she shared a testimony about their little boy who's experiencing healing. And how many know that when someone begins to experience healing, all of a sudden they have this great passion for the fact that people can be healed, right? Okay, show me your hand. If you've ever experienced a healing, raise your hand. Show me your hand. Yes, and some of you have been on this stage and testified about that healing. I think the most recent one was my buddy Ben. He came up here and talked about God miraculously healing his headaches. And so last Sunday, Peyton... She's telling her story, and she said, if anyone wants healing, I want you to step forward. And my first thought was, oh, I wonder who I should pray for. And then I felt this thought that the healing was supposed to be for me. And so I stand right there. So I literally took, like, three steps forward. And I felt these hands start to come around me and start to pray for me. And the thing is this. For the last four and a half years, I've been battling autoimmune disease, and it's been crippling at times. And um, we found out that it had gone undiagnosed for decades, which is why it was so bad. And there, it's just been a very difficult journey. It's come with a lot of anxiety. It's come with really bad days. It's come with really bad months. And we prayed, and I felt nothing, except for the fact that I noticed what felt like a very large, heavy hand being placed on my back during the prayer. And I thought maybe it was one of my brothers or, um, like, a giant bear with his paw on my back. It was huge. But then we were driving home after church, and I had this thought. I thought to myself, you know, autoimmune disease is so sneaky. You have good days and you have bad days. And I happened to be having a really good day that day, so I didn't have any pain at that moment. But we were driving home, and I thought, I wonder if I received any healing tonight. And about three minutes later, I felt what felt like warm oil being poured on top of my head. And my head began to tingle. And the tingling ran all the way down my head and all the way into my neck, which interestingly is where the thyroid is located. And then it dissipated. And as soon as I had that feeling, I felt the memory of that hand on my back during prayer. And I realized that that is the exact feeling I had three or four and a half years ago when I had a miraculous back healing. I had fallen down the steps holding my child, who was a baby at the time, and I had broken bones in my back. And so I was literally crippled for six days. I could not move. And I had asked my husband to prop me up by the bathtub so I could watch my little one take a bath. And I felt that same hand touch my back, and I felt that same warmth, and I felt that same tingling sensation in my back and that day I stood up and walked for the first time in six days and I believe the reason the Lord let me feel that giant paw on my back was because I think it was the hand of God on my back and interestingly it was placed in the exact same location where my back was healed and I think that was the reason for the location is because he was recalling to me the fact that I had been healed that I was being healed and I will continue to be healed. And what I want you to know is that for the last four and a half years, I have not gone one week symptom-free until this week. 
And in my world, that's a really big deal because I have three littles and a husband. And when mama's not well, things don't go quite as well. But Revelations 12, 11 says this, and they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. And so what I want you to hear is we are experiencing healings in this church, and I want you to be the next one to stand up here and testify, because I believe someone's going to be up here next week, and it might be you. So I want you to just, you don't even need to move out of your chairs. I'm going to pray healing over you right now. If you need any healing in your life, if your mind needs healed, if your thyroid needs healed, if you've experienced autoimmune disease, if you've gotten a diagnosis this week, whatever it is, I want you to just raise your hand right now. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Jesus, you see these bold hands. You see the faith of these people. And now I want anybody who's ever received a healing to raise your arms. And we are going to just declare over these people, by the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimony, we defeat the enemy. And we say in the name of Jesus, every stronghold that has come against these people, every infirmity, every illness in the name of Jesus is gone. By the blood of the Lamb, we are washed and we are set free from all illness in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we give you praise in advance for the testimonies that are going to continue to come out of this church. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's give him some praise. Good evening, church. I hate interrupting conversations. Actually, no, that's a lie. <laughs> because I am the oldest of five kids, and anybody who comes around our family, ask my husband, we all interject and interrupt each other. Bennett fam, I don't know if you're the same way, but our friends growing up, they're like, we, we can't get a word in. I was like, well, too bad. None of us can either. Um, we have a lot of new faces around here, which I love. And I am terrible at introducing myself or introducing other people. I would fail at being on the host team epically. <laughs> and there's a reason why I'm not called to it. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Katie Simbersky, and I'm a part of the teaching team here at Church 214. I am a wife to Thomas. Um, there he is. He looked up at me. <laughs> A mama to Colton, and now we have a miracle baby boy named Teddy. I love serving others. I love cooking, but more than cooking, I love eating food. I like really hot showers, but our water bill does not love my really hot showers. <laughs> I love worship, my massive family. I have the greatest friends. I also really love the city of St. Louis, which is kind of odd to put in here, but it just holds a really special place in my heart. I love my dogs, the outdoors, and I could keep listing things about myself. And it might seem a little silly, but I'm going to be very vulnerable tonight and tell you a lot of not-so-great things about me. So I figured you should know some good things before we begin. <laughs> Now, I'm going to warn you, um, this word that the Lord has put on my heart, it is not a rainbows and butterfly word. It is convicting. It's uncomfortable. At least I hope it will be for you because in preparing, it has been 
very uncomfortable for me and very convicting. And so typically I would tell you to open up your Bibles or whether paper or on your phone and read along with me. But instead, I want you to close your eyes. And before we start reading, I'm actually going to pray. But I want you to, after I'm done praying, keep your eyes closed because I want to eliminate any distractions. And I want you to hear these words that the Lord gave to someone thousands of years ago. They were written down so long ago, but God knew from the beginning of time that on March 21st in the year 2021 that you would be hearing these words. So as your eyes are closed, pay attention to the words that stick out to you in this passage. And after you open your eyes, you can go ahead and write them down. So Jesus, we come before you tonight and I pray that our hearts would be humble, our hearts would be open God, I pray against any stony, stubborn heart in this room that you you would just start to soften it right here in this moment. And Jesus, I come before you as a humble servant, and I ask that you strip anything of my flesh away. Because God, I only want to give you glory. And I only want the words that come out of my mouth to be straight from your throne room. And so, Jesus, do what only you can do tonight. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Church, this is the word of the Lord for you tonight. James chapter 4. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme to envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it for you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says, the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud but continually pours out grace when you are humble. So then, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful and weep. Let your joking around be turned into mourning and your joy into deep humiliation. Be willing to be made low before the Lord and he will exalt you. Dear friends, as part of God's family, 
Never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is to not make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying it doesn't apply to you. But your duty is to obey it. There is only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. So who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? Listen, those of you who are boasting, today or tomorrow, we'll go into another city and spend some time and go into business and make heaps of profit. But you don't have a clue what tomorrow may bring. For your fleeting life is but a warm breath of air that is visible in the cold only for a moment and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, our tomorrows are in the Lord's hands. And if he is willing, we will live life to its fullest and do this or that. But here you are, boasting in ignorance. For to be presumptuous about what you'll do tomorrow is evil. So, if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. Go ahead and open your eyes. And if there is anything that stuck out to you, I encourage you to write that down. Because I believe that's the Holy Spirit nudging you and pricking your heart. And this was only 17 verses. And there are chapters in the Bible that are way, way longer than this. But this is jam-packed with so much good stuff. And so, not by my own deciding, but by God's, I'm going to follow in Phil's footsteps tonight. And we're going to cover all 17 verses. So bear with me. Now, when I first read through this chapter, this is a little hard to say out loud. I told God I didn't think it flowed well. Like, I read through it and I was like, oh, God, are you sure this is like supposed to be here? And that just shows my, how my heart is, my human heart. Um, because I like to think I know better than God sometimes. But I decided if he's telling me to do all 17 verses, I probably should. Maybe I'll figure out if they go together. So here we go. Verse 1. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desire? I love how James, but it's actually the Lord speaking through James, and he hands us the answer. Like, it's just like a, it's a catch, the, it's something I could catch. It's like underhand. <laughs> and he straight up tells us that conflict and quarrels start because of our hearts. And so your issues with another person don't start because that person. It's whatever's inside of you. And let me ask you this. How often do you accept blame first? Ask my husband. I will only admit to this once, but sometimes I can be stubborn, and I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> we are so quick to blame others, and it's their problem, their issues, they're acting this way, and so we get to, we get to respond this way because this person did that, or we throw them under the bus 
And we convict people of being guilty without seeing how we contribute to the conflict. And it's because we're prideful. It's because we want our own way. I just read earlier, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. You want your own way because you're prideful. And those words, quarrel and conflict, in that verse, um, translate in the Greek to war and fight. And I felt so deeply um, that that translation is important because I feel like quarrel or you could like say bickering and conflict, like those are kind of light words. We don't think much of them. They're just kind of like a rubbing up against something. But the word war, that's a heavy word. That is a violent word. It's a gruesome word. And to see that conflict with someone else is actually war with your brother or sister, think of the weight of that. You want your own way. So you are willing to war against another person that you are called to love. Verse 2 and 3. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy, to envy and harm, and some other translations actually say kill here, and who only comes to steal, kill, and destroy? The devil. Others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time, you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it for you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. Now, in place of jealousy, some other translations are going to come up. Um... And I had a really hard time deciding between which translation I was going to read tonight. Um, But the words covet or lust are used interchangeably with jealousy. Which I think is really important for us to understand. Because we take jealousy as a feeling or an emotion. And it's actually covet or lust, those are verbs, those are actions. Those are decisions. And those two things are taken very seriously in biblical context. And in the Old Testament, they were actually given to Moses in the Ten Commandments. And there were lots of laws given to the Israelites in which they were to live under until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, he abolished that. And what he left us with was love your God, the Lord your God with all your heart and to love others. And these Ten Commandments actually fall with, like those two laws kind of define all of these. And we did a series on this a few years ago. You're going to have to go way back. And I, I was scrolling for a while trying to figure out the name. It's called Ten Commandments. <laughs> so go to the podcast archives and listen. I think there's three messages, so they kind of combined a few of them. Phil, your message on honoring your father and mother has stuck with me for years. And... It was such an eye-opening series for me because 
um, the teaching I grew up under, these Ten Commandments actually felt um, very, like, bondage to me. And so I felt like if I, I didn't feel, I felt very shameful if I went against one of these. So, like, if I, I didn't ever steal anything, so that's not a good example. (laughs) But, like, lying, if I lied, then I would feel a ton of shame, but not the guilt feeling that you should feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. And so that series actually helped me um, experience bondage being broken off of me that was carried from childhood into adulthood. So really, go back and listen. It's phenomenal. Those ten commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Church lust leads to adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Lie. And you shall not covet. And I feel like we... um, take the word covet as like this old-timey word, doesn't really apply to us anymore. But it's actually really, really important. Because I want you to think about the last argument or negative thought you had about something, someone, or a feeling of jealousy towards what someone else had that you didn't, and you thought that you deserve it, because you work harder, you're better at X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is coveting. And that is a sin. Church, I think we let this fly under the radar way too often. We let our hearts go unchecked, and we justify the way that we're, that we're feeling, and we want others to back us up and feel the same way we're doing, we do. And my husband... God knew I needed him because he's the best one at keeping my heart in check. And that's probably because he knows if he offends me, we'll still sleep in the same bed that night. (laughs) About six weeks ago, I was off of social media, but I decided it was Saturday, so I was going to let myself relax and scroll, which was a mistake. (laughs) This is not an exaggeration. I got on Instagram and I saw six pregnancy announcements back to back. And anger is a very rare emotion for me, but I was so angry, I wanted to chuck my phone across the room. And I was in the shower, so my phone wasn't gonna go very far. (laughs) I told you you were not gonna hear some great things about me today. But as this feeling came up, and instead of throwing my phone, I asked Thomas to come in the room And my initial response was not to ask him to pray over me. I wanted him to justify the way I was feeling. So I wanted to tell him how I was feeling and be like, yeah, babe, that's totally fine that you feel that way. But instead, he said, well, babe, sounds like a heart issue on your end. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. I love when it's my fault. Not. Then he prayed over me. I still wanted him to justify how I was feeling. I didn't like his answer. But after he prayed, I had this massive revelation, and this word coveting came back to mind. Because for too long, 
I was coveting. I was desiring with envy. That's how that word is defined. What other people had. And I was trying to justify my sin to God and to other people. And I wanted other people to justify it for me too. Which I feel like is another sin. To ask my husband to justify my sin for me, that is causing him to sin. My desire for a baby was changing the way I prayed. And instead of humbly coming before God and asking him for what my heart desired, I was demanding it of him. The next week, actually days later, we found out about Teddy. And within days of allowing the Lord to change my heart's desire, or to to change my heart, my desire was filled. And that is not always the way it goes. It is not the way I was expecting it to go. It can, it takes weeks, days, weeks, months, years. Sometimes it will be, won't even be until we get into heaven that we get our prayers answered, that we pray here on earth. But it's our heart posture in those prayers. It is humbly coming before God and asking him for what we desire, because he knows but too often we're demanding of him. And I can tell you so many in other instances of when I've coveted what other people have, and I don't want to make myself look terrible tonight, so we're not going to go into that. But this is something that the Lord has been teaching me, especially as I've prepared for this message, and he wants and working on in my life, and he wants to do that for you too. He wants to turn your selfish desires into, and demands into a simple prayer that is not my will, but yours, Lord. And if I haven't already made you feel uncomfortable, verses 4 through 6 are pretty heavy, so here we go. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world, Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says, the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace to you when you are humble. I could just end right here tonight and let you sit with these words. Because to be called a spiritual spiritual adulterer and an enemy of God back to back, those words to me are like a knife through the heart. And I actually had a dream the other night in regards to these verses and the next morning I couldn't shake it I was so sad about it because in this dream there were people left and right signing divorce papers and it wasn't divorce papers like with their spouses it was divorce papers with God and there were other people who were partaking in adultery and they thought they were keeping it hidden but every single person around them knew what was going on. This is one of the Ten Commandments I've read earlier, 
about lusting. And we can find, or adultery, and you can find countless verses in Scripture. And I think lust and adultery are often only talked about in the sexual sense, which means, like, sex is intimate. And so I think they are used here to stress the importance of an intimate relationship with Jesus. See, for lusting after our own selfish wants and desires and choosing things over the world, then we're cheating on God. Church, we are his bride. Just like in marriage, there's intimacy only meant for you and another person. There's intimacy that is meant only for you and Jesus. You don't get to be half in with him. It doesn't work like that. I don't get to be half in a relationship with my husband. At least I shouldn't be. And so it's the same exact way with Jesus, if not way more important, actually. We don't get to be half in with him. It just doesn't work like that. You don't get to party on the weekends and have sex with whoever you want and maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus. You don't get to be money-hungry and selfish and have intimacy with the Father. You don't get to watch porn or have sex with your boyfriend and girlfriend and ignore that feeling of conviction that you have from the Holy Spirit. You don't get to look at the Instagram of that guy or girl when you're married and have ungodly thoughts about them And God give you, and give God more of your heart. You don't get to put your kids before Jesus and expect to feel Jesus as your friend. You don't get to want the house or the car or the job that your best friend does and demand those things from God and expect them to just hand them right over to you on a silver platter. It clearly states in God's word that flirting with the world makes you an enemy of God. I also only know one other guy who is an enemy of God, and I don't want to be in the same boat as him. I don't want to be any way related to Satan. You can't be an enemy of someone you love intimately. The relationship doesn't work like that. I can't imagine being an enemy of my husband and still having an intimate relationship with him and loving him deeply. Because if you're an enemy of someone, there's strife, there's hostility, there's, there's war towards one another. It doesn't work like that. It also says he is a jealous lover who intensely, the word intense feels that way for a reason. Usually I don't like that word. He is a jealous lover who intensely desires more and more of you. He wants all of you. 
He wants all of you that he will keep giving you grace upon grace upon grace just to get it, just to get every single part of you because he knows how many times you're going to fail, but he'll pick you right back up and he'll let you keep going. How many people would you do that for? How many people would you let hurt you time and time time and time again and you still be gracious and loving towards them? Me, not so many. Probably no one. The friend that hurts you enough times, you cut them off. Your spouse cheats on you. And instead of forgiveness, the world tells you it's divorce. Let me tell you. I'm going to get through this without crying. The Lord can redeem anything The Lord can redeem anything. And he is so good that he will even redeem a marriage where infidelity has happened. And I know that because he's done that for my husband and I. And to be associated as a spiritual adulterer with God and to know on this side of earth, we both know experiencing the other side of that because we We both committed infidelity in our marriage. And the Lord has given us grace upon grace, and he has redeemed our marriage. But he's also good enough that he has given us grace upon grace for each other. And that's really beautiful. Because the world told us divorce is the answer. And God said, nope, I'm going to redeem this because there's grace for that. And he will do that in any area of your life. He doesn't want you stuck in that pit. He doesn't want you stuck in that sin. He is just that good because he is a jealous lover. A jealous lover who will stop at nothing to have all of you. But we have to humble ourselves before him. If pride is in your heart and you cannot humble yourself before God, It said, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And if we are blindly walking around justifying our sin and asking other people to justify our sin for us, then we do not have humble hearts. And a humble heart surrenders to the Father. Verse 7, so then, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. Amen. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. We just sang about that. I had no clue that was going to happen. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners. He doesn't say, Katie, you sinner. That's plural right there, like, we are all sinners. But then he challenges us, keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful and weep. Let your joking around be turned into mourning and your joy into deep humiliation. Be willing to be made low before the Lord and he will exalt you. Surrender to God. Stand up to the devil. Church, this is not a suggestion. 
This is a call to action. James didn't write this just so you could think about it. No, you have the authority to stand up to the devil when you surrender to Jesus. When you surrender to God, you are not going to have that authority if you do not humble yourselves before him. Those sin struggles, you have the power to break them off because of Jesus. But it takes surrendering to him. You don't have to stay right where you are. John 16, and this is Jesus talking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Church, your life will not be easy. And I'm telling you that right now. Because after the crappiest year of my life, and I really want to use another word there, but I won't because this is being recorded. So think crappier times a thousand. (laughs) But after the crappiest year of my life, I have never loved Jesus more. And I don't know if a lot of people would be able to say that after enduring hard things. And he tells us right here, you're gonna endure hard things. But it's okay. And I'm telling you this because I have overcome the world. I've already taken care of it by my death on the cross. So you don't have to worry about it. And this is a heart posture. You don't, you don't feel that way about Jesus if you don't surrender to him. Because all of those things that feel like they're tying you down, he's already overcome them on the cross. And to think that we stay in bondage and chains, how insulting that would be to Jesus because of what he did for us. He died for you. We're getting ready to celebrate that. We're getting ready to mourn on Good Friday his agony and his death that that he took just for us. And we can't even admit that those things that he died for just for us, just for me, We can't admit that we're a sinner and that we're going to screw things up and that we have to surrender to Jesus because that surrender brings us closer to the heart of God and us moving closer to God brings God closer to us. It said it right in those verses. He doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to stay right where you are right now. He wants you to experience freedom. He wants you to feel deep conviction for your sin. He wants you to fall intimately in love with him and to stop chasing after the things that he already defeated for you, those things that leave you depressed, empty, and in bondage. Because you are free. You don't have to doubt that. You are free. 
And your surrender to Jesus is not a sign of weakness. It shows your need for a Savior. It's not a sign of weakness. These last few verses is where I got kind of sassy with God in my preparation. Because the first time I read them, like I said earlier, I'm like, "Mm, these don't go with the first 10 verses. So I don't know what we're doing here. But they actually do fit in really well. Because I believe this whole chapter is all about our heart. And so these last, I'm bad at math, so however many verses um, are important. Colton could do this math better than me. Are important because they reflect our hearts. Verse 11. Dear friends, as part of God's family, never speak against another family member. For when you slander... A brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is to not make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying that it doesn't apply to you. But your duty is to obey it. It is to obey it. There is only one true lawgiver and judge. The one who has the power to save and destroy. And this is God getting sassy with us. So who do you think you are? To judge your neighbor. Who do you think you are? No one is exempt from either one of these. This is judgment and slander, but it's also gossip. And I bet, whether it was in the grocery store or your Starbucks barista or on Instagram or maybe even walking into church tonight, you probably have judged at least one person today because I know I have. And hopefully I'm not alone in doing that. And gossip or slander just feels like a heavier way of defining that word for some reason to me. That's when you talk poorly about someone or you share with other people something that someone told you in confidence. And really... Gossiping is us just trying to make conversation because we don't know how else. Like, if you don't have something else to, sit, to talk about with someone, but you can talk about other people, you should probably reevaluate the people you're hanging out with. Because we're all sinners. <laughs> and none of us are ever going to get it right. And this, I felt the Lord tell me this so strongly. Gossip and judgment, that comes down to a heart issue, which again is pride that is in us. And God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace upon you when you are humble. So, do you think you can do something better than someone else? Or instead of speaking about others in an encouraging way, instead you point out your flaw, their flaws when you're in a group of people? Church, we're called to love people. We're not only called to love people, we are commanded to love people. And you obey a command. Your duty is to obey what God asks of you. Your duty is to not judge what so-and-so is not doing or not doing. And this, the world, this is one of the easiest things to fall into, judgment and gossip. Because I just imagine us like, 
standing with our foot like hanging on the ledge and I have really terrible balance, but like one foot and it is so easy to fall just right in to the pit of judgment and gossip. And once you're in the pit, it's a lot harder to get out. But instead, when you're like this, you can choose to take a step back, look at Jesus, and walk around the pit because you have the authority to do that. The enemy doesn't get to trick you into saying something that is going to make you fall and not come back up. Or it's going to be a lot of work to get out of there. When our eyes are focused on Jesus, we're not worried about what other people are doing or not doing. When our eyes are focused on Jesus, we fall, well, you'll fall more intimately in love with him. Verse 13. Listen, those of you who are boasting, today or tomorrow we'll go into another city, we'll spend some time there, go into business, and make heaps of profit. Make lots of money. But you don't have a clue what tomorrow will bring. I feel like this is God just saying, like, don't be a fool. (laughs) For your fleeting life is but a warm breath of air that is visible in the cold only for a moment and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, our tomorrows are in the Lord's hands. And if he is willing, we will live life to its fullest and we can do this or that. But here you are, boasting in ignorance, for, be, for to be presumptuous about what you'll do tomorrow is evil. We don't really trust Jesus if we don't have an intimate relationship with him. Think about the people in your life that you trust the most. I would hope that you have a close relationship with them if you're trusting them. And I would hope that they feel like a safe place for you. But I really hope that you feel the same way with Jesus. Or do you say that you believe in him and haven't really given him all of your heart because your worldly desires have taken over? And so you're going to struggle to have an intimate relationship with him because there's someone else involved. It's a really complicated love triangle, us, God, and the world. It's really messy. And Jesus doesn't want it to be that way. And our desire for control, I believe, is something that was, that was not God's intention for us whatsoever. That is because of the fall and our broken humanness. And I'm preaching to myself because I love control so much. Like, if I ask my husband to do the dishes and he doesn't do them in five minutes, I will go do them because I want them done. And I like control. And if I do them, they'll get done my way. I also love plans. I'm terrible at writing stuff down and having a plan, but I like plans. Like, I know that they're there in my head. And I'm probably the least spontaneous person in my family. 
But my dad, on the other hand, he is extremely spontaneous with probably a good portion of procrastination. And our last few family vacations, I can think of the last three that I've gone on with him in adulthood. They've been planned in less than two weeks. I'm like, Jim, I have a child. You need to give me more notice. And we usually don't have a place to stay <laughs> until we are either at the airport waiting to get on the plane or we've already landed and we're in the Uber on the way to wherever we might be going. <laughs> and there was a couple of times when it was just him and my siblings and I that went. And we're leaving the airport. He's like, I think we're going to stay at this hotel. And I was like, okay, well, how long are we staying at this hotel for? And he's like, I think just a night, and then maybe we'll find the Airbnb. He's like, now that you guys are older, like, I kind of enjoy just moving around and experiencing different things. I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I want a plan. <laughs> but through my whole childhood, my dad, I've learned, unwillingly learned, that not being in control is probably good th for me. And this last trip that we went on, I learned that it's actually really freeing to go with the flow. And I think God wants the same thing for us. Yes, don't get me wrong. He wants us to take action and be obedient to what he's asking us to do. But he doesn't want us to come to him and be like, hey, God, here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Hope you're okay with it. Because he's not going to be okay with it. Because I'm sure your plan does not line up with his plan. At least mine hasn't. And Thomas and I have done this more times than I would like to admit. <laughs> and in the last four years, when he's had a job interview, we've started looking at houses and cars before the interview has even happened, coveting. And then after the interview, we find out he doesn't get the job or like other things happen and layoffs happen and so he, they can't hire him at this time. And we fell trapped to this lie that by looking at things that we selfishly wanted, we were acting in obedience or acting in faith <laughs> to what we thought God was going to give us or what we thought, like our plan was God's plan. And so we're acting in faith and we're going to look at that house because we really want that house and we know God really wants that house for us too right now. No, probably not. <laughs> And the worst part of acting in faith is we were justifying it to God. We were trying to justify it to each other and our friends. And acting in faith, we were actually committing sin. Jesus wants you to trust him. He wants your obedience, church. He wants all of your heart. And he desires for you to leave behind the things of this world and to cling to the beautiful things in heaven that he has for you. And don't get me wrong, he has some great things here for you on earth. 
But if you don't, if those things don't line up with God's plan, those great things are going to end up leaving you depressed and sad and broke, probably. If we would have bought a house four years ago, I can't even say what I'm going to say. We would have been out of luck. (laughs) We graciously lived with my in-laws. If we would have fell lie to the trap of acting in faith and moving forward, we would have been working with the enemy to go against what God's plan is for us. Because I know he has great things for us now. And I still like to interject my two cents or my, my plan to him. And usually he reminds me that that's not how, it, how it's going to go. And that's okay. I think that's also part of surrendering to him. It's okay with our plan not working out with his. Because his is the best thing for us. Verse 17. So if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. This is all about obedience right here. And Sarah and Peyton stood up here, and they gave testimony, and they chose obedience to the Lord. And that is not always the case, and I know that is not the way f- the case for me. If I was in Peyton's position and God asked me to pray over somebody, I probably would have been like, nope, bye, see ya. <laughs> Especially people I don't know. <laughs> but there is something beautiful not, not just in being obedient, but you're also resisting the devil when you choose obedience. Because then you don't have to be guilty of that sin. And uncomfortably, the Lord has asked me to take steps of obedience that are public, and I don't like to be the center of attention. And there are two things that he has been asking me, one specifically, uh, he has been asking me to do for three years. And my friends would tell you it has been way longer than that. I think it's been about five years that they've been telling me that I should do it. And I finally got the hint three years ago. And I'm going to take that step of obedience. And it was really scary. It was really scary for me to... Send Phil an email and ask, hey, um, I want to close my message with this song, but instead of just closing with this song, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me that I need to sing that song. And I, ooh, I did not want to do it. My husband encouraged me to do it. He's like, well, if you're feeling it, go for it. I'm like, that's not how I roll. That is not how I roll at all. <laughs> plans, people, plans. But I don't, I don't want to resist God anymore. I don't want to resist doing the things that he is asking me to do because I have a prideful heart. I have a stony, stubborn heart. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to choose to be disobedient to God. I expect my child to obey me, but I can't obey God. That's a problem. 
I tell my child he is committing a sin if he disobeys, but then I turn and I'll probably go and disobey God in the next five minutes. That is a sin. Those Holy Spirit promptings that you feel, church, those are intimate. That is for only you and Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak the same thing to Becca that he speaks to Heidi. It's because he has an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. And so choosing to disobey him, choosing to be prideful because I don't want to look like a fool, you're guilty of sin. But instead, we get that intimate relationship with Jesus when we choose surrender. When we choose to focus on him more than anything else in the world. And this closing song, I want it to be an intimate time for you and Jesus because it's an intimate song. It's about locking eyes with Jesus. And I used to think that could only happen in heaven for us. Like, oh man, it's going to be great when I get to heaven and I get to see Jesus face to face. And yes, it is. But he craves that intimacy right here, right now for you today. He doesn't want you to miss out on this beautiful relationship that you get only with him and nobody else. And he's excited because he gets it with you and nobody else. Nobody else. As I was preparing for this message, this is my next step of obedience. And it was kind of scary for me, but... I felt the Lord very clearly give me this word for all of you. And it's a prophetic word, so that's what makes it scary. But I'm going to stop being disobedient. And I'm going to lay my pride aside. And I hope that you can do the same because I believe these words are straight from the Lord. And there's action that he's calling us to in these days. In these days where it's really easy to choose the world over Jesus. It is way more comfortable to choose my own selfish wants and desires over Jesus. But that's not what he asked of me. This is what he's declaring over you. Sons and daughters, you are radical warriors for the kingdom of heaven. You, sons and daughters, have been equipped to wage war and partake in battles beyond your human understanding. I, I, your creator, have designed you to be those of radical faith. I'm raising you up to have radical obedience to me. That when I speak things to you, there will no longer be hesitation to act. You will act on what I'm asking you to do. When I speak, you will listen. 
When I speak, you will take action and the powers of hell will be sent running. You, my sons and daughters, will have radical trust in me as you use your weapons of radical faith and radical obedience to change this world. You will no longer live in spiritual adultery, falling into the traps of this world, and living as my enemy. But you will once again be tethered to me. You will lock eyes with me, like in the days of Eden, and experience radical intimacy. My child, I'm ready for you. Step out in this moment. Step up in this moment. Not your will, but mine be done, my child.